very few people are going to override a 40K or less triathlon leg. Like, besides me. And me. Yeah. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Coaches on Couches. Bing Slouches. Bryant wore his pajamas today. Pajama pants. So, uh, today we are going to talk... Uh, All people would like the uh, short, <laughs> short shorts over there. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about all things time trial. All things. The race of truth. It's actually some call it. Yeah, that's actually clickbait, because we're not actually gonna talk about all things. We're gonna we're gonna do pretty it. much all things, Dale. We're gonna do all things, just we're not gonna go into as deep as we could go because we could be here hours. Several episodes. So if there's a if there's a topic within this that you want us to drill down deeper into, we are more than happy to in a future podcast. Yeah. We're always looking for topics. We're we're fairly uh both of us are fairly nerdy on time trialing Mm -hmm. uh whether it's you know straight time trial or triathlon bike leg um you know everyone wants to go fastest a to b baby exactly and that's the key so that's what we'll be talking about today but first i am coach dale sanford and i am coach bryant funston we are the co-founders of bpc performance coaching where we specialize in helping time crunched athletes optimize their busy schedules so they can maximize their athletic performance Every BPC coach is trained in our five pillars coaching system that has been developed over the last 11 years through our work with athletes of all ages and ability levels from fresh off the couch to world championship competitors. You can find out more about BPC by going to buildpeakcompete.com, checking Facebook and YouTube at buildpeakcompete, and all upon that Instagram at bpcperformance. And uh, you can follow Dale on Snapchat at... <laughs> he doesn't Snapchat. I don't Snapchat. I don't Snapchat. I don't Marco Polo. No Marco. <laughs> None of those. None yeah. Not enough time of the day for all this stuff. No. All right. We're going to get to uh, all things time trial here in just a minute. But first, we have a couple shout outs. Lots of... Sh- we have a couple shout outs. So yeah. first one, uh, CJ Neff over in Bentonville. Uh, Walmart had like an intercompany thing they've done it I know at least last year as well he did it last year um, and so we set kind of a goal part of what actually was making me think about this this time trial episode um, we had a goal average speed that we knew we wanted him to try to hit if, if he was going to uh, to place high in the overall uh, his team um, he was doing the bike the bike relay aspect and uh, his team ended up getting first place, and he set a new uh, FTP number, functional threshold number, um, yeah. and held on a road bike. Um, he doesn't have a time trial bike. Held over 24, which is pretty solid. solid for you know a 16, 16-ish mile TT. It's good. It's good. Yeah, uh, Greg Arode. Mm-hmm. We uh, went out on the old Trinity ride this past weekend. Uh, Greg's been putting in some good miles on the bike and ended up hitting uh, his all-time best 10 and 60 minute power. That was pretty on uh, Trinity ride. It was yeah, the non-nature chasing, brake stop uh, turned into yeah. a, a massive chase. Yep, a lot and, of chasing. Uh, one more. Uh, 
the ride to Rosemary, Rosemary folks that we, uh, that we coach, um, they've been putting in some, some massive miles. Uh, they're kind of in their last big block of training right now. We leave in three, a little over three weeks. Um, so shout out to them. They've been, they've been knocking out centuries, uh, pretty consistently. So yep. good work, fellas. Lots of miles. All right. So let's get to it. Uh, look, we're trying to get from start to finish as quickly as possible, whether that is uh, an actual time trial, um, like the one that we'll be hosting on mm-hmm. the 27th of September. Yeah, shout out to the Snot, Sweat, and Tears, TT. Yeah, we'll be doing a socially distanced uh, time trial. Mm-hmm. and uh, Or, it, you know, it could be the bike leg of a triathlon. Um, you know, the pacing part of it may be a little different. Yes. Uh, but a lot of the equipment and you know, uh, effort regulation and, and that sort of thing, uh, definitely carries over to, to triathlons. So, yeah, I would say almost all of this applies exactly except for pacing essentially. Yeah. The effort that you're going to push. Yeah. Cause you still have to run yeah. naturally. Whereas a cyclist a part of it, yeah. does not have to run afterwards. No. So I guess you, you, first thing there, what is a time trial? Yeah. I, a time trial literally is a race against the clock. It is, uh, you have a set course, set distance, and you are trying to cover that distance as quickly as possible, uh, you know, based on time. So, um, no drafting. Yep. I mean, that's kind of the, the massive thing that in the road racing world, I mean, triathletes don't draft in most cases anyway, you know, a non-draft we'll legal, that. non-draft legal stuff. We'll get into that. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Unless it's Ironman Texas or something. <laughs> uh, but uh, essentially the difference, you know, with road racing, most stuff is mass start. So you're starting with a group of others. We strongly encourage people to do as much much drafting as possible. Whereas in a time trial, like uh, Coach Dale already mentioned, no drafting allowed. It's all about you and putting out the fastest effort that you can put out to, to get done with the course in the shortest amount of time. Yeah. In both cases, if you get caught caught drafting, it's a time penalty at minimum, Mm -hmm. uh, could be a disqualification. Yep. Um, so generally what happens, like Brian said, is, uh, most races are mass start, whereas a time trial is set off in, uh, most of the time, 30 second increments. Uh, it's, it can be as, you know, if you, there are other races that do a time trial start that will send people off as quick as three seconds, five seconds, but most cycling time trials are 30 second yep. uh, starts. So yeah, it spaces man. everyone out and, and allows uh, or doesn't allow drafting like early on. And, yeah. and eventually people just get way spaced out anyway. So, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And sometimes you'll see like, you know, Tour de France is actually happening now in, in what, September, yeah. uh, odd year, obviously. Kind of nice to have it in September. Um, you'll see where they'll put people off like every minute. And then when they get to those big, you know, the final people where they want to make sure it's just them racing against the clock, um, you know, they'll go as much as three minutes sometimes. Yeah. So you can have some big, big time gaps between those overall leaders just to make it as fair as possible. Yeah. So absolutely. if you're getting passed by the person behind you and there's been a three minute gap between you two, you're on a bad day. Not a great one. <laughs> Not a great yeah. day. But you can, but there can be all different distances. Look, we've done time trials. I mean, I've done. I've done a 1K. Yeah. I mean, I've done three mile, two mile time trials. Yeah. Um, I've done, I mean, if you count triathlon, done as long as 112, mm-hmm. uh, you know. But so typical for triathlon, you're looking at, you know, say sprint, sprint, sprint distance. Sprint is usually 20K. And then Olympic. 40K. And then you start getting into half. Yeah, 56 miles and then 112. Yeah. Um, 
but they're they're all i mean they're all different yeah. every course is different that's mm-hmm. the nice part that's the cool thing about time trialing and, and triathlon every course is different um you can't expect to hold the same speed over two completely different courses and exactly. different conditions and we'll talk yeah we're gonna dive a little bit more into that here here a little later um in the road world so like we're in tennessee you know a lot of times you'll have an omnium or a stage race in which you have you know typically a road race a time trial and a criterium you know in those most of what we do here in the in the kind of southeast most of those time trials will come after a morning race so you're doing those in the evening and typically they're going to be shorter um, you know like a longer distance uh, time trial um, is you know in that eight to to 10 mile range most are kind of in this you know five ish mile so not a super long effort obviously especially when you're comparing it to some of that long you know long course triathlon stuff Um, but you'll find if you're doing it right they hurt in a in a very different way right it's over quicker but the amount of pain sustained um, when done right is super super high that i I guess that's the um one of the things about time trialing and people that are good at time trialing like you can look at even if you look at the pro peloton there's a lot of super strong cyclists in this world mm-hmm. that are not great at time trialing mm-hmm. uh, for whatever reason and, and a lot of that is just who can suffer the most because yeah. it it hurts you're pushing yeah. a maximal effort absolute maximal effort on your own with no help uh over however you know whatever the distance is mm-hmm. so i mean yeah, who can get that last 5% out of themselves, right? You could have someone who's a stronger person, you know, when you're looking at numbers, but if they're only able to push themselves, you know, 90% of what they're capable of, that's a massive difference versus someone who may not be quite as strong, but is able to get as, you know, suffer hard and get as much out of their, uh, themselves as, as they can. Definitely. So let's talk about like, uh, like training for specifically for time trial. I know like a lot of like we do have several athletes that like that's all they do is Mm -hmm. time trialing. And so generally those those folks are like after like the fastest 40K time, which is kind of like, you know, the 40K is is usually like the right around what what most people consider your threshold. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, uh, you know, that's what a lot of those folks focus on. But let's just talk about training specifically for time trial like what the efforts look like. Yeah. I think, um, if you start looking at like national, national races, so USA pro Nats, um, or USA national, sorry, masters nationals, typically it's going to be a 40 K or a 20 K. Um, you are going to have that longer duration versus what, you know, what we were just talking about with the omniums. Um, but what you got to start doing as far as training is concerned, um, when our athletes get, you know, six to eight weeks out, it's, it's time to start getting away from group rides. If you look at a group ride, you end up having a lot of short burst stuff, a lot of recovery, you know, a lot of time in zone one, two, three, kind of spread across the board. Um, when you start really focusing in on a time trial, it's all about spending a lot of time around that goal, that goal power that you're going to be, or goal effort. Um, you don't even need to be using power, that goal effort that you're going to be putting out. Um, you know, typically what we're going to have our athletes do is you know, two sessions a week of this more focused, hard, I mean, it should be hard. And we want you going into those rested when you get towards the end of your, your block and, and you get closer to race day. Um, you want to go into them rested and it's a matter of, okay, how, how long is the duration of my event? 
Is it a 40K? Is it a 20K? Is it, uh, I'm not doing any, you know, state or national event. I just want to be strong for my five mile event that's coming up. Um, the, the duration of your event is going to determine how long your intervals are going to be. So, you know, for someone doing a 40K, we end up having them do a lot of like, you know, four by 15s or three by 20s, something where it's not the full duration. You're not going out and knocking out 24.9 miles as you're Yeah, like, you're not doing the time effort. trial as a practice for the time trial. Exactly. You're not doing two time trials <laughs> of that distance each time. Instead, um, either you're going to be, you know, at goal effort and, and small recoveries in between. Yep. Um, but typically what we like get to have our athletes do is actually train a little bit above what that goal effort is going to be. We're trying to push up that last bit of fitness, provide those recoveries, those shorter recoveries, partly from a mental standpoint, you know, on race day, you're going to have that extra edge and excitement and everything. Um, but just giving, you know, two minute, three minute recovery between these intervals, you know, we don't want to go super long with them, um, in general. But those short recoveries allow your body to recover that little bit and allows you to push good, hard, consistent, higher, higher effort, higher power, higher speed than what um, an athlete typically would if they were just doing a single you know, straight block. But then if you're getting into shorter stuff, okay, now we're not going to work. You know, so 40K stuff, typically you're going to be you know, zone four, low zone five, depending on um, the type of and length of intervals you're doing. Um, when we start getting into the short stuff, you know, we're, we're typically working a lot of the, the zone five and up uh, effort. And then I guess uh, the last aspect is what style or what's the course profile? Like, how's the course going to be? Is it pancake flat? If so, you're going to want really steady, steady power, right? Yep. Um, you know, doing a lot of burst efforts and surges and stuff like that. It's not really going to apply. Giving yourself short recoveries not going to apply if it's a, a flat course with not a lot of you know turns or turnarounds or or whatever where you're going to be laying off the gas and it's like we want people to have to do those long sustained set it and forget it kind of efforts because it, it is a different physical strain on the body um you know i i remember when i did uh the memphis and may down in tunica super flat course pancake and just being stuck at like one speed for <laughs> like, I just wanted to shift. I just wanted to like change effort. Um, yeah. I, I didn't do a lot of training specifically for steady state. I was doing, um, you know, more burst style efforts, more road race style stuff. And it was a much different strain. So you got to know what your course is going to look like. The flatter the course, the steadier you want to be with it. Yeah. Um, if you start getting into something that's hillier, punchy hills, um, that's when you're going to start adding, you know, like over under training where you're, you know, pushing zone five, pushing zone three to recover and kind of repeating that. Um, and that range is going to depend on kind of what that course looks like, but you're going to want that variability while still never really getting to that zone two, zone one, you know, letting off the gas completely, um, style efforts. Yeah. There's no, there's not a whole lot of that unless you're spun out going downhill, you know, you might exactly. as well rest up, but the easiest way, the easiest way I can explain it, like as far as like creating sessions for yourself, mm -hmm. and let's just say like you're these sessions should be hard, mm -hmm. and like you said, they should be you should go into them pretty rested, uh, you know, once you're getting into specifics. But the easiest way is to like f take the du duration, take the distance that you're 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 racing, or, and and you're going to like 
chop that into small blocks at at effort or above effort. Mm-hmm. And at first, it's all going to be above. And then as you start to smash those together, and the and the duration of the efforts go out, your your total effort, you're gonna you know your total work time is going to be close to what the race is going to be, yep. or maybe a little bit longer. Yeah, so you're adjusting recovery in between. Yes, you're you're, starting all to you're doing is recovery from you're, you're taking out recoveries and you're smashing the effort together. Yeah. And so as you get closer to that, you come down closer and closer and closer to just goal effort. Um, but w- one thing that we always we talk about a lot is so many people get like you train structure like with power and whatever for so long. Um, we, we always try to get people to do like the last bit without really looking at power and just going on feel uh, over. Uh, any whatever the intervals are mm-hmm. uh and that way now we know how to like get an idea of like what kind of speed you're going to hold and then race day it's speed like you're yeah. you're racing for a speed i think uh forget what uh, there was a thing in the tour de france it was an interview with taylor finney one time in the tour de france and you know taylor's like a awesome time trialist. he's an awesome time trialist and and could care less about power, <laughs> like could care less about numbers. Yeah. And he just like simply put, he's like, it's, you're trying to go the fastest possible, like that's speed. So uh, I just target a speed. Yeah. And when I am less than that speed, I push harder. Mm-hmm. And when I'm above, way above that speed, I know I can recover a little bit. Yep. Yeah. If you're banking time, like if you're banking speed by going well above it, so the faster you're going above it, the easier you're pushing. You're, you're saving the body. And we'll talk about pacing here in a little bit. But yeah, when you're going under that, clearly you got to be pushing harder. Yeah. So like toward the end, like once you're getting into the very specific last preparation phase for a time trial, it should be mostly on feel, trying to get the feel for the speed. Mm-hmm. And you should be riding courses that are similar to the course you're going to race on. I think that's a massive one there. Like yeah. you've got to be simulating what the demands of the event are going to be. If you've got hills, if you've got short, punchy climbs, you've got to be simulating that in your training. Yeah, there's no, I mean, that, the worst case scenario is you do, uh, you know, all all your training on a trainer, super flat or on super flat roads all the time. And you can hit goal efforts. Mm-hmm. You can hit your steady, all your steady efforts above threshold. And then you get into a, a time trial that has some short punchy climbs or even rollers. And you're not going to go very fast yeah. because you're either going to push too hard over those, uh, or you're going to blow up because you're not used to doing the, uh, the punchy stuff. Mm-hmm. So we have to simulate the closer we get to the event, we simulate more and more and more the effort, mm. uh, the distances, and I think the, the speeds, everything. We're trying to simulate it all. Yeah, I think one of the biggest skills, like time trialing, is a skill. And for those people, and and this is why we do have athletes, you know, not stare at a power meter all the time, is because you may show up on race day with better fitness or worse fitness. You may be getting sick. You may have, you know, had a hard race in the morning and it took a lot out of your legs. Like you've got to know your body and you've got to get used to pacing yourself off the sensations that your body is giving you. If you're just going to, you know, we don't want you to be a robot when it comes to time trialing um, or even, you know, the bike leg of a triathlon. You have to be feeling out the effort and feeling out how much load are the legs undergoing. What are the lungs feeling like? um, How's your breathing? Like all those things should factor into what you're doing on race day. 
Yeah. It's not, I got to push 270 regardless of terrain. And I'm just going to peg <laughs> it there and hope for the best. No, like you need to, you yeah, need if you're, to if you, listen to the body uh, and, and, and push varying efforts at different times. You and, can't expect to go out on a rolling course and hit a variability of, of one. 1.0, yeah. I mean, that's just not going to happen. Uh, the, the, the thing that I always, the point I want to make on triathlon is that um, the shorter the distance, the less you're going to use power. You need to go by feel. Mm-hmm. So the longer the distance, we can use power as a regulator more than anything. And heart not, rate. Not necessarily you know, heart to rate determine. Falls into that as well, yeah. Uh, to determine your effort, but to prevent you from going too hard, yeah. uh, which will then obviously demolish your run. Yes. Um, but if you're racing sprints, it's, it's you know, gung I mean, it's all, it's all by feel. It mm-hmm. should not be – because I've had, I've had athletes who – hit their best power in a sprint race, like, hit, you know, 20 minute pass or whatever mm-hmm. in a sprint race because they were feeling good on that day. Mm-hmm. Um, very few people, I'll just put this out there. Very few people are going to override a 40 K or less t- triathlon leg. Like besides me and me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, other than the people who are cyclists and at heart, the yeah, <laughs> and the people that are cyclists at heart and yeah. know that it's their strength, like most people are not going to override. There's going to be that conserv, little bit of conservative nature that they're yeah. going to be, uh, they're taking in. Biggest, biggest fault I see, and we'll this kind of we're fast forwarding here, is people going out way too hard. Absolutely, like, um, and not really knowing how to pace, like. I mean that's a that's a huge thing. So we'll get to that in a second. Let's jump into equipment real quick, and yeah. then we'll we'll finish off with our race tip stuff. Um, so equipment. What one one thing, Dale? Uh, let's let's start there. What like one thing could a person do um, to actually improve the most from a speed standpoint? So if you're going from like let's just say you're on a road bike, mm-hmm. um, you know the number one realistically especially nowadays with so many arrow road frames out there is position like getting arrow bars or just changing your position to be more aerodynamic. Um, that doesn't mean it has to be slammed and, and like, you know, that kind of thing, but your position is probably the biggest change you can make to improve your speed over any given distance. Mm-hmm. Not, I mean, we're not talking about uphill, but like, Yo. uh, on a flat to rolling terrain, uh, your position is the big one. Um, yeah, the faster your average speed, the more important your position and and punching a smaller hole yeah. through the wind. But the other factors, comfort, like how long is your event? You can suffer through three miles. You know, that's holding a position for six to eight minutes versus yeah. holding a position for five to six to seven hours is a, is a massive factor. Um, so comfort and then... How much are you going to give up with power? You know, people want to get as low as possible because they see the pros do it. Yeah. But if you can't breathe <laughs> yep. and you can't hold that position, you end up wanting to spend all your time, you know, up on the wings or up what on the What happens hoods. is people go put themselves so low that they put so much stretch and strain on their posterior chain that their legs stop working, basically. Mm-hmm. They have no power because their their hamstrings are not, flexible enough to sustain to hold that yeah. position yeah. um number yeah, one are closed down number one mistake aren't working and yeah people fitting themselves on a time trial bike is 
putting themselves too low, thinking they need to be super arrow. I've had, I can't tell you how many fits I've done where I brought the person up significantly mm-hmm. and they got faster, a lot faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I've played with it myself, you know, like I've yeah. gone as low as my bike would allow and I've run power tests and, and speed relative to speed. Cause you know, it's speed is the goal we're looking for here. Yeah. And I've found that just, I can't get comfortable if I go as low as my bike allows me. I'm closed off. I'm changing my body position. I'm rolling. I'm like doing a bunch. I'm like fighting my bike the whole time. Yeah. Whereas I bring it up, you know, two centimeters and it's a, I'm able to settle in, stay comfy and generate even better power uh, and and ultimately better speed. So, so, you know, getting a professional bike fit from mm -hmm. somebody who knows what they're doing Mm -hmm. uh, is key there. Yep. Um, It is, I'll be the first to, I fit bikes for a living and I've done it for years and I have a hard time fitting myself on a bike. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you're going, I can get pretty dang close. Um, but having another person look at it is. Yeah. You're bringing your own <laughs> thoughts yeah. into it as opposed to, uh, yeah. Being an outside. There is a feel aspect to it, yeah. but, um, so yeah, if you don't have a, you know, a, a time trial or, you know, triathlon specific bike is going to be more aero than than well, i guess now you're getting a lot of aero road bikes but if you start thinking yeah. about your traditional road bike um, but one of the biggest things you can do is being able to bring those arms in without cutting off your without cutting off breathing air, or or making your shoulders uh yeah you know but getting away from being wide bringing that body more in that you get with clip-on aero bars or you know going to if you have the money to do so going to an actual time trial specific yeah. bike setup. So that's one massive thing you can do. If you're just yeah. buying speed, that's a big one. Yep. Um, skin suit. Yeah. So going Clothes, to period. A, to, yeah. Clothing. And, uh, I was actually listening to a, a podcast about time trialing. Um, and they had a person who's working in the velodrome over in uh, the UK. And when asked what the biggest thing they thought a person could do, like quickest, easiest, cheapest thing, they said, yeah, there's like a ton of skin suits on the market, some super expensive, super high-end ones, but you're better off going with a cheaper skin suit that fits you properly right. versus going with one of these fancy high-end fat, you know, tests super fast that yeah. doesn't fit you right. It's not necessarily the fabric, it's how it fits you it's and how, how little uh how little wrinkles bunching, out yeah. and yeah. Wrinkles, bunching, you know, flapping, flaps. I mean flaps are bad, yes. Find the Tightest thing tight that goes in all the crevices. Take and all the nooks and crannies yeah. should be. Uh, and it's the same for triathlon. Like mm-hmm. uh, I've had some tri suits where you they're fine. Like you get on the bike though, and they've they're so loose in the front that the air just like catches yeah. in the front of the suit. It drives mm-hmm. me nuts. I want to like put a piece of tape mm-hmm. on my throat just to close that close yep. that hole. And that's a lot of time. Like a lot of why people have gone to like the shorter sleeve tri suits because they don't leave the air gaps in the armpits and stuff like that to, to pull, uh, air into. So, um, yeah, I mean, your, your clothing is huge and it's not compared to everything else. It's not that expensive to, to get, uh, tighter clothes. Oh, exactly. No. And it looks good in the mirror. (laughs) Uh, arrow helmet is a big one as well. You know, a road helmet versus a, a more arrow helmet. Um, I'll let you weigh in a little bit on, you know, when should a person go with like a longer tail versus someone go with a 
I mean, more honestly, rounded style setup. Rarely these days are the tailed helmets uh, faster unless you can hold your head up the whole time. Um, you know, they were they were really cool like five six years ago, um, but the shorty helmets, the rounded shorty helmets, have uh, kind of become more popular and for good reason because they they generally test faster in. Uh, majority of head positions. So whether you're head up or head down, um, and the and tendency is is the more aggressive your bike is, the more you're going to ride head down. So um, eyes up, head yeah, down, eyes up, up head, yeah. <laughs> um, but an aero helmet, as compared to a road helmet, is you know usually somewhere between a thirty and sixty second improvement over forty k. It's a pretty, I actually talked to somebody about this yesterday. It's a pretty significant improvement for a helmet. Oh, you yeah. know, yeah, you get a couple definitely. hundred bucks on a helmet and you've gained yourself some good time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so that's a, that's a, that's a huge one. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely worth the investment there. Uh, booties. So arrow, arrow shoe covers, uh, can, can play, you know, if we're starting to really dive down into where are we going to save as, as many yep. watts as possible and how are we going to get speed as high as possible, um, the cleaner the air flows over bike and body, um, the better. So going with, with booties allows you to take a lot of the, you know, the creases out of the shoes, um, allows the air to flow easier over, over the shoes. Um, a cheap, you know, generally you're looking at 50 bucks yeah. or less um, for, for an aero advantage there. I got a good one. Mm-hmm. Bush hog your legs. I was gonna say I didn't write it on the whiteboard, but with the leg shavings, the big one. Take take the take the force down. Yeah, and you'll you'll gain a few watts. There's, you will there's, for sure. Uh, Specialized did a, yeah. a video on it a few years ago. They uh, were amazed at how much it saved. Too. Yeah, they were very surprised. So yeah, definitely arrow. They are arrow. Absolutely. Um, where wheels? Yeah, wheels are a big one. Uh, they're not cheap, but. No. They are a, a pretty massive time savings for, like, compare if you want to compare it to like a boxed aluminum rim, mm-hmm. uh, even like a 50 mil um, deep dish carbon wheel or something. It doesn't even have to be carbon. A deep dish wheel uh, is much more aero. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's fa- let's face it, a disc reigns supreme. Um, you know, even though even though they are not allowed in some tries mainly due to crosswinds it's not the it's not the wind like usually it's the front wheel if you're going to get in trouble uh handling a bike in crosswinds with it with a disc wheel it's not the disc wheel it's the fact that you put a, mm-hmm. a an eight uh like a 80 mil or a 1010 on the on yeah. the front uh or the front. in the case of laurent fignon if you watched the video i posted earlier today <laughs> on our vpc page uh running dual discs front and rear outside yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's the front wheel. Like yeah. you have, your center of gravity sits so mm-hmm. well on the back wheel mm-hmm. that you you know even with a time trial position and everything shifted forward, you still have pretty good center of gravity. There's not a ton of weight on that front on that front wheel. So when you have that big deep dish in the front, it's going to catch a wind and it's going to push you all over the place. Yeah. As soon as that front wheel comes off center, you're going whatever direction you know, that you, you turn. Yeah, that's, so. your, that's your hinge point. Like yeah. the front is your hinge point. Don't blame the disc. And that's, <laughs> yeah, your, your inability to hold that is the issue. The disc, you know, in, in a lot of uh, circumstances, <laughs> the disc wheel will actually create propulsion if it's hit 
at the right yaw from the side. Yeah. Um, so disc wheel all the way. Yeah, definitely. So in, unless you're doing like an uphill time trial where speeds are going to be low, you know, that the more arrow, the faster the wheel set, the more time you're going to save. I've noticed a massive difference going just on my road bike going from, a. I was using box box rims essentially last year to now I'm using a like an 80 rear and 60 front. Yeah. And my ability to hold like I, I push far less power at 26, 27 miles an hour yeah. versus what I was doing, you know, rotating through and pace line. I, obviously, this isn't time trialing, but it's the same thing. When when that speed is up, the faster the speed, the more arrow plays. Yeah, a it's big exponential. Difference. Really exactly. So, yeah. Uh, that that 60, 60 80 combo uh, is something that has been out there a while. As far as like a really good universal yeah. set of wheels, if you don't, if you can't kick in for a disc, but you're going to buy a set of carbon wheels, uh, you know, get the sixty eighty combo yeah. because it's like a really good universal aero. Uh, yeah. You know, and and you can still handle a sixty pretty well and some crosswinds. Now, if you're really diving into it, tires, yep, um, going you know with lower rolling resistance tires are gonna you know you can you can look at twenty different you know look, twenty watt difference if between you're, a fast tire and a slow tire. I'll be the first to tell you because I've done this before. Mm -hmm. If you're time trialing on Gator skins, yeah. stop it, stop it now, stop it now, cut them in half, or, Just or get at least wait till the winter time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you are putting a Gator skin on a race wheel, you are losing out a ton i could not believe like i've done a lot of research on this and there's a couple of good websites out there uh that you can check the specs on these but mm -hmm. i could not believe the difference oh massive uh yeah. the watt savings it's like 20 30 watts oh, at yeah. my weight at you know 105 psi mm -hmm. it's it's insane was it bicycle rolling resistance i think has, i think it i think it I think is it's bicycle rolling resistance.com yeah You'll be amazed at the difference in yeah, if not you even jump, factoring in weight. We're just talking about the wattage yeah, suck that's happening. Basically on rolling resistance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So tires are huge. You know, and that and you know, um a few years ago there was this whole thing where they were like the tires were um you know, they were making tires that perfectly yeah. like ran the bead of specific wheels, so there was like no transition between the tire and the wheel. Like they're they were trying to like take away any disturbance that could happen mm -hmm. in air, mm -hmm. uh, you know, even besides rolling resistance. So that's why like a lot of time trialists are going to uh, like a narrower um, front yep. tire and a wider back tire. Mm -hmm. um, and actually a lot of higher end bikes now are like, if you buy a higher end time trial bike, it's probably going to come with like a, a 23 on the front and a 25 on the rear. Mm -hmm. Um, just because it's the combo is more aero. Yep. So definitely latex tubes. If you're really trying to go oh, all God. the way down uh, to, you know, saving every watt, increasing, you know, getting every bit of speed you can, um, latex tubes. I love them. Are, I love latex tubes. I love the feel of them yep. in a race tire, but I have had so many problems <laughs> yeah. with There's latex tubes. Yep. Like, and that's the other trade-off with, with tires too. Like yep. if you're going with a super fast race tire, you're gonna sacrifice in puncture resistance. Yeah, uh, it's just a fact uh, there that that's gonna happen. Um, so you got to figure out, you know, what's your comfort level on puncture resistance versus speed. Man, I'm all about that speed. You baby. puncture, I'm done anyway. It's over. <laughs> I mean, it's over exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I've I I've had um, 
my last year at uh, Triathlon Nationals, I woke. I, I had latex tubes in my disc. Mm. Got to the transition area in the morning. Late, the t- the tube was flat, and oh, I was. Yeah. I you talking about absolutely this. pissed. Yeah, I replaced it with another latex tube, pumped it up. Three seconds late, and I checked it. I'm I've done this before. I've checked the, the rim and the tire, yeah, yeah, yeah. and like two seconds late, I went and bring the pump back to the to the mechanic and came back, and it was flat again. I had and then so I had like, I mean, uh, two in the morning, and I was like, screw it, I'm going. I th- threw a butyl tube in there, and I was like, yeah. that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they're just it's basically latex tubes like a balloon. Yeah. It's like a slightly thicker balloon yeah. uh, in the tire, mm-hmm. and it, you know, while it helps with weight and rolling resistance and stuff like that, it's thin. It is thin. Yep. So bumpy, not really great for super bumpy roads and stuff where you can pinch it really easily, but they are fast. Yep. Uh, I guess the last thing, and we could start talking about chains and going really deep into it and the type of lube you're using and the pulley systems and ceramic bearings versus not. Yeah, I mean, there's I mean, a lot of stuff we can talk about, but... If you go into drivetrain alone, yeah. if you want to like totally optimize everything and go super nerd on it, you're getting, you know, you go ceramic in the bottom bracket first and then in, the, in your jockey pulleys in your rear derailleur. Um, and then... Uh, after that, you can get an optimized chain. Get, it, get that uh, wax, that the, wax dip. The waxed and optimized chain, um, and you know, those those things are like you're saving a few watts each place. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of claims out there on how much it saves, but yeah. you're saving a few watts each place. But the total, yeah. you know, can can be pretty significant. You mm-hmm. know, drivetrain's another s- source of of lost energy loss, lost yeah. energy. So yep. yeah, anything you can optimize in there. I mean, the big thing with your uh, drivetrain is making sure that you have proper gearing. This uh, is, so yeah, this is a massive thing. Like, there's a, a we could chat some on the the big chain ring. You know what size a person should go with. I know there's quite a few folks going larger now, um, but again, it's course dependent. Yeah. So why would you go with a larger chain ring the reason being from an efficiency standpoint if you're really looking to get every watt you can you know transferred to that to the wheel um, not being eaten up by your drivetrain just slight cross chaining can be an issue yep Um, so if you're someone who's faster you know if you're going to be pushing 28 29 30 miles an hour you don't want to be in a 53 12 gearing you you know so you're seeing you know pros especially you're going to these bigger chain rings, or if you're someone who who's most comfortable at like 75 RPMs, you know, there's some people that like to push a big gear, uh, being able to not have cross chain, um, just go axis 12 be, speed one you're by be saving. You're going to be saving that little bit. Um, but most important, like if you're on a rolling course, um, or something that's got punchy climbs, you got to be thinking about what's your rear cassette. We've had folks who've run into problems before because you know, most of the race is rolling, but there is that one steep climb yeah. that's you know got eight percent, ten percent grades on it, and they end up having a cassette that really sort of limits them, forces um, them to push too hard going yeah. up the climb, and it kind of blows them for the rest of the the race. Mm-hmm. So if you do have a if you're on a rolling 
course with a with a good climb you're going to want to have that kind of bailout gear uh what might be a 26 to 28 i mean for some people it might be a 30 yeah uh, if you've got a long cage rear, rear derailleur but um for the most part depending on the course you want the tightest grouping of gears that you can possibly get and by that we mean the smallest jumps between the the cogs in the cassette so yep. forever like before it was 11 speed it was just 1123. Mm-hmm. You're going to race with, I mean, they even, I guess some, there was 11. You do 1121. Yeah, that, yeah. There were a couple of like race specific cassettes out there that you could, you could get. But, um, you know, now it's kind of like 11 speed is more like an 1123 with a bailout of a 25 or 26. Um, and then <clears throat> you can get like, uh, you know, a 12, whatever. I don't know. There's all kind like, if you're if you're doing a flat to rolling course and you're a fairly strong athlete, um, you know you can you can do that really super tight grouping. Mm-hmm. And so every whenever you change gears, you're not having to make massive changes in your cadence. Yeah, that's so the important thing. you're yep. staying smoother. Uh, mm-hmm. You know throughout the time trial. That's I've been in so many situations where I chose the wrong gearing um, because I was lazy and didn't want to change a cassette and ended up you know, you're rolling great on a flats and then you get up some sort of pitch and you get in the higher end of the cassette, uh, or the bigger cogs and the jumps are so big. Now you're going from like your sweet spot cadence and you're jumping 10 to 15 RPMs per, uh, per gear and it throws throws your rhythm. So like Mm -hmm. all over the place or even worse being on a flat course. I've had this happen. Like at tunica actually a flat course where i ended up between gears like the the power the effort i was wanting to push um and the speed i was at like i was either 85 rpm or i was like 105 RPM. i couldn't be in that yeah. spot where i really felt the most comfortable um and it was it starts messing with your mind so if i'd have gone with a tighter range there it would have been very <laughs> beneficial to me yeah let's talk real quick about like front chain rings um most, I would say most time trial bikes these days, uh, come with a 52, um, it used to be 53, but now are most of them going 52. Yeah, they are. Really? Yeah. Oh. So most of them are, are 52. If you're a, uh, you know, a stronger rider easily ride a 53 on flat to rolling courses. Um, and then, you know, if you're a pretty, and if you're a pretty strong cyclist and you're averaging 24, 25 plus, uh, on rolling courses, you can definitely, you might even feel smoother on a 54, mm-hmm. uh, 54 tooth chain ring yep. going if, much above that. If you're finding you're on a course that you're spinning out. I mean, that's yeah. time where if you do go bigger chain ring and you can still push, not necessarily max out on a downhill, but you're still able to push. I mean, you're gaining, you're gaining time when others are, are losing time. Yeah. Um, so a bigger chain ring may be, may be beneficial there for you. I've definitely been on a couple of time trial courses where, uh, you know, I, I've done everything. I've done a 52, I've ridden a 53, I've ridden a 54. Um, and I've been on courses where in a 53 you're spun out going down one hill Mm -hmm. and it's a fairly long hill and the course is only five miles. And I'm like, Dang, I, you know, if I had a 54, I could have been probably carrying a lot more speed. Carry that little bit extra, um, yeah. you know. So, yeah, it it depends on it depends a little bit on the strength of the rider. I would say, yeah, most people will will 
time trial on a, you know, most, the average person would time trial probably on a 52 just fine. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're, if what you're you ro rolling 53, 53. Yeah. I mean, I'm right now 53, but yeah. I've, I keep telling myself I need to put a 54 back on. Yeah, I'm on a 54. For for the, I mean, local stuff, yeah. you know, flat to rolling. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you know, I've I've ridden as high as uh, the, the ovals yeah. that were a 56 during the power effective, phase. Yeah. I mean, yeah, effective 56. Um, so, yeah, so... If you have more questions on equipment, yes, clearly we could talk about this for, for a long period of time. It, it, so feel free to post questions in the uh, in the comments or shoot them to us or whatever. Uh, coach at buildpeakcompete.com. Coach or couch. They both work, I promise. <laughs> we said, People say they don't. They do. Um, all right, let's go, <clears throat> for the sake of time, let's yes. get into our, our top kind of time trial race tips. Uh, I'm going to lead it off with kind of the first thing you do, warm up. Uh, yeah. The shorter your event, the longer your warm-up needs to be. You want that engine ready to rock, and you want to make sure you've got some race-specific efforts that have happened. You don't want to have your first hard effort be the start of the race. Um, otherwise, it's going to come back to haunt you. So uh, for, a, for a short TT, it, I'll, I'll warm up 45 minutes, 60 minutes. Yeah, easily. Um, for, you know, for a longer uh, time trial, I'm, I'm still getting at least 30 um, ideally even a little bit more than that. Yeah. Um, but a good warm up with some race style efforts. I generally don't like doing anything too long, nor do I give my athletes anything too long. Um, so, you know, you're talking 30, 60, 90 second openers, you know, up to, you know, three, yeah. three to four minutes maybe. Um, but you're not trying to tax the system so much as wake the system up and give yourself lots of recovery in between those efforts. Yeah. I usually prefer to warm up with a good swim. <laughs> yeah right <laughs> no but like even during like during uh like before a, a try like the shorter the try the longer my bike warm-up is mm -hmm. i'll get there earlier so that i can get in 30 you know at least 30 minutes on the bike prior to yep. uh the race just because i you don't want right after you get in the water you don't want that first you know couple of rpms uh or revolutions to be like the first hard pushes on the pedals so mm -hmm. um yeah you if you're going into a try and not warming up at all on the bike there's you're probably uh losing a step or two in the first half of the bike yeah i've definitely had races where i did not warm up enough and did not feel you know in a 12 mile uh bike leg i didn't feel good till mile seven or eight mm -hmm. you know yep yeah, uh, which yeah. can go into this next one um well one quick tip Quick tip, so after your warm-up, be thinking about what's the start going to look like and what gear should you be in. <laughs> so a lot, of time, a lot of times what I'll do is um, typically it'll be big ring on the front. Some people like to start small ring uh, just to make sure they're not going out too hard. Um, I don't really like that personally. So big ring in the front and then I'm just you know two to three down you know, from, the, from the largest cog. Yep. So I'm probably starting in like a 19 tooth rear. So something that you know you can you you're not gonna like be pedaling at 25 RPMs and yep. doing this max force effort. So being a good gear. Um, Definitely do not repeat. Uh, do not try to change your gearing on the start block. <laughs> That's too late. You throw it. <laughs> it's too late. Your yep. chain's going off, and yep. you're gonna be you're stuck uh, with it. 
You're going to be grease hand. Yeah. Uh, uh, they won't help you. Yep. So pacing, you know, we've, we've alluded to this a few times already in this uh, podcast. Pacing, pacing, pacing is huge. That's why you need to be practicing different intervals, you know, riding at goal efforts. You got to learn your body. And the number one mistake I always see, um, you know, from a, from a road cyclist standpoint is folks going out way too hard. We know you're excited. Uh, we know you feel really good that first minute because the effort hasn't caught up to you yet. That's where all the cameras are. And that's where the cameras are. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but, and the fans, the the 12 fans fans that have showed up. Uh, that's where your kids stand. That's where the kids are at. Uh, but the, the biggest thing you can do to ruin your race is to have the first two minutes <laughs> being 40% above what you know you can hold and what you've been holding in your, your actual training. Yeah. Um, it will come back to haunt you and you'll go, oh crap, about minute three, you're like, oh, oh that was a bad idea. Yeah. That was a really bad idea. Yeah, the, the start of a time trial should not like should not look like the finishing sprint no. of a uh, of a race. Exactly. So what I typically do, get up to speed. You're not trying to blow yourself out getting up to speed, but get up to speed over the first, you know, 10, 15, 20 seconds. Um, and then it's a matter of settling in. I like to be peaking at my power then just to make sure, like you mentioned earlier, that, that you're not going too hard. Um, I'd rather you save that effort for the last two minutes of the race versus the first two minutes. So push 40% above the last two minutes if you've paced yourself poorly and you still got it in you. Um, But ideally, you know, you've rationed your effort uh, pretty well across the entire course. Yeah. So uh, the other big pacing thing that I would uh, throw in there, and this is, I feel like we repeat this all the time. It's, you know, when you're riding, you need to push harder when the course is harder. Mm-hmm. And then come off the gas when the course gives you recovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you do that, you will gain time on people when they're trying to just pace themselves up that hill. Yep. You need to press the hill mm-hmm. and then take the recovery on the downhill on the other side. Once you're up to speed. Right. Yep. Pushing over the top of the hill until you're back up to speed. Yep. Yeah, you'll find you're going to have a much higher... So a rolling course, I'm always... When I'm looking at a course profile... Um, if there's a harder section, so if there's an uphill, if there's a headwind section, whatever it may be, if the course is going to be harder, um, I, I want to look at, okay, how long is that and what's happening right after that? Right. So if you've got you know, a, a one-minute uphill or a 30-second uphill followed by a downhill, you can afford to push harder on that uphill. And in your training, you know the course profile, so you've been doing some yep. of these burst efforts, right? Um, so your, your goal is to keep speed high on the uphill, get back up to speed if you've lost speed over the top, and you're going to find that you're going to be able to recover at a much faster speed than the person that kind of paced themselves up. And now they're like grinding it out over the top. They've essentially, now they got to get back up to speed and they really yeah. get no recovery at all. You know, they're spending their entire time, they're still redlining some. But they're spending, they're getting very little recovery and they're losing a lot of speed in the process. Yeah. Now, if you got something that is not gonna allow you to recover afterwards, you know, if you've got like a, a short uphill followed by a false flat or followed by a headwind, then you gotta be a little more conservative there. You don't wanna go, you know, really smash the hill. 
get to the top and realize, oh, <laughs> there is no recovery here. Oopsie. I've got to settle back into my, my goal effort um, because you'll end up going way too deep. Yeah. So know the course, know what the course is going to give you. Push harder when you know that recovery is uh, following immediately after that. Be a little steadier when you know there's not. And like this not, this not sweat and tears TT, a lot of rollers. Roller. So it's All a day. lot of push really hard, keep gas on over the top, recover. You will push have really wind hard. one direction too. <laughs> you will have wind for sure. Um, I want to back up real quick and just answer this question because this is pretty common. Um, like, uh, we got a our, question. Our buddy Tim, buddy Tim Lin yeah, from, from Tim South Korea. Shouldn't you be sleeping? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, he asks any tips for warming up uh, when you can't ride the bike before the triathlon. Because a lot of like national events and big like, Ironman events, you have to check your bike in the night before. Um, you can most of those events though. You can go get your bike in the morning and ride around a little bit if you want to. Uh, it's not super convenient once it's already racked and you know it's okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but some people will um, bring a spare bike and a trainer. Uh, I've seen that plenty of times. Um, in their car, they'll just have their road bike and a trainer and they'll sit out behind the car and warm up there. Um, or, you know, it's more of just lengthening out your dynamic warm up uh, a little bit and just making it a lot more progressive. Uh, you know, so instead of 30 minutes on the bike and maybe a 10, 15 minute active warm up, uh, active dynamic warm up, you're doing maybe 30 minutes of active dynamic stuff, just being super slow with it and super progressive, mm -hmm. going through big, big ranges of motion and making sure you're hitting all those muscles that, that are working while you're on the bike. Yep. Um, that's, that's probably the best case scenario there. Yep. Um, so going back, we, we covered pacing, you know, breaking one thing, one thing to add on pacing, break it into segments. Yeah. You were probably just going to say that. Yep. Don't think of the, the race as the entire thing. Have a plan for first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, final quarter. Mentally, it helps you a lot. And it may not even be a quarter. It may be like, you know, until the first turn or, or whatever it is. But have some predefined spots where you kind of have a game plan for that. And you're breaking it into chunks versus trying to, you know, eat the whole elephant at one time. Um, it's going to help you mentally. It's going to help you physically. And it's going to keep you thinking through your efforts and when you're going to push and when you're not. Yeah. And, you know, and that goes into like knowing the course. I mean, mm -hmm. we've already said it about five or six times, yep. but you have to know the course, like mm -hmm. even just riding it before or the day mm -hmm. before reconning everything like that way. That's how you break it up into segments. You know, the, the landmarks, you know, the turns, everything, yep. um, you know, tr if there are turns, you know, ride the turns, figure out the best way through them. Like, yep. where do you have to slow down? Like, is there gravel in that turn? Like those are the things that you learn when you know the course and you recon the course mm -hmm. that are going to help you pick up so much speed mm -hmm. uh, because you're not going to have to slow down because you've never seen this turn before. Yep. Uh, you know, it, it helps tremendously. And I've had athletes get on Google Maps. I've done it myself. Like yeah. if you can't go and vi physically see it, get on Google Maps. Most, most roads are going to have uh, a street view where you can kind of take a peek and see, you know, see what it looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you can pre-ride, that's no, number one. Always pre-ride the course if you're allowed to. So uh, effort levels. I mean, just you have to know, you have to have an idea of what you're trying to achieve here. Mm -hmm. So you need to be realistic in knowing like what kind of speed you think you can hold over this course. And you cannot be like dead set to it because you might be on a bad day. Yep. Uh, the conditions may not allow that. It could be pouring rain. It could be 
like gusting wind, you know. Rewind back to Chattanooga last year, right? When it was so, so hot and there was all these people hoping for, right. for a great triathlon. Uh, and the bike leg, I know you were just shouting at everyone to hydrate and I didn't care kind of redefine goals, right? Yeah. Like the, the course in the day may not give you the speed that you want and you have to be able to adjust. Yeah. If you, if you get dealt with a, a 106 heat indexes, mm-hmm. uh, on a, on a, a full iron course, your, mm-hmm. your number one goal is to stay cool and hydrate. Which um, is, which is why I think the most important thing you can do is start to learn your body. Sure. Yeah, you want to be able to relate that to heart rate and to power if you've got both those metrics going. But if you're just a person who is relying on heart rate and power and not paying any attention to perceived exertion, you are going to have a very tough time pacing yourself consistently um, it, and, and not listening to your body. It's just the, the best races I've had it's not staring at a number. Um, I'm looking at speeds to kind of get a feel for when I need to be pushing more or less. But I'm combining that with how am I feeling? Like, do I feel like I'm going to? Can I hold this for 10 more minutes? Can I hold it for 20 more minutes? Yeah. Um, and I know, I've done it enough now where I know if I feel like I'm questioning whether I can hold it for the whole duration in those first five minutes of a longer event, I'm going way too hard. Like, yeah. Being more conservative, and by the end, it almost always never fails that your my yeah. power is like staying there, and my perceived effort has now gone up fifteen yeah. percent just to hold that effort. And that's when I went out conservative, yeah. you know, from a perceived effort standpoint. And you definitely don't want to finish like immediately going, "Gosh, I could have pushed harder." Yeah, like yeah, that's and the closer you get to the end, I'm always thinking about that. Yeah, it sucks. Like this hurts. I'm suffering. But I know 10 minutes after, I'm going to say, dang it, I, sh- I could have gone harder. I let off yeah. and I shouldn't have. Like, um, So it kind of goes into one aspect of it. Like, Have a mental checklist. Like, Have things you're going to cycle through. You don't want to just be thinking about, yeah, this hurts. Yeah. You want to be staying pot. Everyone's hurting. If all you're focused on is how much this hurts, yeah. you're not going to push yourself as hard as you can go. Exactly. So thinking about breathing, thinking about pedal stroke, um, uh, staying relaxed, like what's your yeah. body position? Are you getting loose? You know, what muscles are you working? Like running through that and changing your focus and making sure you're being as efficient as you can. Um, but ultimately, keeping a positive attitude the whole time also is bingo. If you start beating yourself up and saying, oh, this sucks, I'm on a bad day, I want to quit, like yeah. all of those things are going to lead to a uh, you failing to get the most out of that yeah. race. And it was a good, uh, I believe it was uh, Chris McCormick's book or something like that, where he talked about like pre-race, especially Kona, he would like bank, he would just bank all these positive thoughts mm-hmm. and just make this massive bank of positive thoughts, whether it was his kids or, you know, whatever, a great day he was on or whatever. He just bank all these positive thoughts and like literally throughout the race, the moment that a negative thought creeped in, boom, pulled one from the bank, yeah. you know, and he would just pull and... He would have all these things just lined up, ready to think about to to change his mindset mm-hmm. over and over. And you know, he did pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> he was an okay athlete. <laughs> Had some okay results. Uh, but I guess uh, the last little thing I'll add is when I'm using like the main way I'm using power uh, while doing a time trial. Um, it seems like for me, where I sh- end up struggling the most is when you do end up like with a headwind or a false flat. 
or something where you feel like you should be going faster and in your head you're starting to think about the competition when really it's not about them it's just yeah. about you but it's you're clocking thinking, man i feel like i should be going faster than i am that's when having something like power or, or having heart rate um to to be able to take a peek and go okay well i'm I'm still pushing good numbers or I'm still, yeah. you know, I'm 10% higher power than what I think I can hold or what I've ever held for this duration. And then, you know, okay, it's okay to step back, like to yep. chill out a little bit and not get in your own head about blowing yourself up because you feel like you should be going a ton faster. And you're not going to carry the same speed on every course. Mm -hmm. It's just not going to happen. Yep. Uh, every course, every day is different. Uh, you know, you can't help the people that show up to the race. You can't, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you don't, there's a lot of uncontrollables that determine how fast you go as well. So, and ultimately it's about you getting the best out of yourself, right? That's like it. You can't control anyone else's race. You can only control yourself. And so your goal is to get the most out of yourself on that day that you can. Uh, and so that's what we encourage our athletes to do. And that's why you should do this a lot. Like you will get better at them. You should simulate the training to, to kind of, improve your pacing and you know go through those processes and you'll you know there is an art to it all so absolutely get out there and try them um it's it's a lot of pain typically but at the end you're like <laughs> for most of it's pretty fun for the most part yeah i'll do it again i'll do it <laughs> all right guys we appreciate you guys uh we we threw a lot at you we appreciate you uh hanging out listening watching if you have any uh if you want us to break down any of those bits into more detail let us know yep. and uh yeah we'll catch you guys next time adios